Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we On this episode, funny car racer Chad Green, pro mod racer Stevie Fast Jackson, and we remember legends in drag racing. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. The late great Dave McClellan and John DeBartolomeo. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans, your host here for the NHRA Insider Podcast. And boy, this has been a week so far. It's Tuesday, and it's already been a week. We've had uh, some sad news come out of the sport of drag racing, some monumentally sad news in a couple of different ways. Of course, the passing of Dave McClellan, the legendary NHRA announcer, um, and a guy whose influence in drag racing goes far beyond simply what he did with a microphone. We'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes. And the passing of John DeBartolomeo. John, a sportsman racer, a magazine editor, and one of the most visible and respected members of the drag racing media over the last couple of decades. Um, both of these guys have had strong influence on me, and they have had strong influence on the sport of drag racing. You know, when, when we talk about people like Dave McClellan, we talk about people like John DeBartolomeo, um, these are these are people who have who have touched the lives of, of many. And uh, personally, for myself as well, that is, uh, that is a factual statement. You know, if we begin by having this conversation about John DeBartolomeo, the guy won a bunch of national events over the course of his career, was uh, an incredibly gifted uh, technical writer. He wrote tech stories, uh, some of the best stuff you'll ever read in drag racing about sportsmen, uh, race cars, technology, engine building. I mean, you name it, the guy really could do it all. And, you know, for me, my personal connection to John um, came into play about 10 years ago when he was the editor of Drag Racing Action. And uh, at that time in my life, I had stepped away from, um, you know, normal jobs, so to speak, and had uh, really kind of put my head down and dedicated myself to try to make a living and support my family uh, in racing and in the automotive media. And uh, the first couple of years were a fairly bumpy ride in that process. Uh, it, 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 you know, you got to put in the work and, and do do the time and, and all the effort and everything else. But um, there were... Uh, a lot of lean times over the course of that uh, experience, and John was instrumental in helping me through those lean times. He assigned me a lot of work. I did a lot of work for John as a freelancer for Drag Racing Action and, and other publications, but with John, it was it was in DRA, and um, he was fantastic. He was a guy that I, I wholly respected. I wrote a lot of car features and other stuff for him uh, over the course of time, and, and that work... Um, you know, at points helped literally keep the lights on in the house and, and helped keep oil in the in the oil tank to keep the place warm in the winter. And um, subsequently, uh, as things began to, to grow for me in that in that part of my life, um, you know, I lost the amount of time I would have to, to continue to, to freelance at that level for him as other things were picking up specifically, you know, traveling more to announce more races and, and kind of being uh, here, there and everywhere. And, you know, John never... Um, held that against me, so to speak, you know, and when we would talk and I would say, man, I, I just can't take this work or I can't take that work. He was supportive and, and um, just a great influence. And my story is not unique. So many people that have 
worked for John, worked with John, raced with John, raced against John over the years. The outpouring on social media uh, after his passing was announced really says it all to a degree in that you see people from just every aspect of the sport, manufacturers from the aftermarket, fellow racers, competitors, racing officials, everybody coming out and saying effectively the same thing, that this was a guy that really did represent the best of what drag racing has to offer. And, and he loved it with all of his heart and soul. And uh, I send my condolences to his family. The NHRA sends their condolences to John's family as well. And, um, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to sum up somebody like him uh, in this format, in this way. And I always feel like it's self-aggrandizing to to insert yourself into into moments like this. So I'm certainly not trying to do that. But I did want to provide some perspective and really just a little bit of a, a personal uh, anecdote there regarding John and, and really what I thought of him and, and what his impact has been on me through my career. And I would see him at the races after the fact when, when really I hadn't done a lot of freelance work for him at the time at that time and and I would see him and he'd be happy and um you know he was and he was great he would call up and ask me questions and and I was able to provide him maybe some information for stories that he was unable to get anywhere else and um he really enjoyed every aspect of drag racing so it is uh it is a heartfelt loss and and certainly one that uh is not lost on me and and that goes maybe doubly down for the passing of Dave McClelland at 85 years old um and again, we talk about what can you say about this guy? What can you say about Dave McClellan, someone who was a near physical personification of, of drag racing? Um, it it was something he dearly loved, something he raced in, participated in. And I mean, the guy ran racetracks. The guy started Super Chevy. I don't know if a lot of people forget about that. He created Super Chevy Sunday, which would go on to become the Super Chevy show, which would go on to become at at one point in its in its history uh, became the second largest kind of drag racing organization in the country. And that's no kidding. Uh, really, when you look at participation and size of events, when the Super Chevy series was really hitting its stride in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was as big uh, or bigger than basically everything else but the NHRA at that time. And, and that was a, a brainchild of Dave, um, of Mac. And it was something that... Um, Something that he he ran the company from like 1981 to 1984, and then and then handed it over to the to the corporation that ultimately you know took it on and, and really kind of grew the thing to except, exceptionally large size. It is uh, it's a sad thing, and, and you know it's it's interesting. Uh, this may be a little bit therapeutic for me, I guess, to be talking about it, but it 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 hit me hard when in when I found he had passed. It it really did hit me hard, and I think it hit a lot of us hard. Um, and you know, the beauty, of course, is that in the era uh, Mac worked in, we have his voice still. We have all the video. We have all that great coverage from the from years gone by. So it's not like his memory will fade anytime soon, nor will that voice go anywhere. I'm thankful for that. You know, for my relationship with Dave McClellan, um, it was a good one. It was one that um, I will value for the rest of my days. It is, it is beyond anything when you go into a line of work like being a race announcer which is certainly an oddball uh, occupation because there's no gauge you know that's the thing that I feel is is very interesting about about McClellan's life and times and how his connection were in so deep with people because there is no gauge there is no playbook on how to do this the right way there are certainly 
one of those things where you don't know how to do it the right way, but you certainly know when it's being done the wrong way, right? When you when you hear somebody that you know either isn't good or doesn't care, doesn't have the passion or doesn't have the knowledge or isn't prepared, you know that's bad. But what is good? Is it just the sound of somebody's voice? Of course not. There are a lot of people that have great voices that are not good announcers. There are a lot of people that that can't do what he did, which is basically everybody. The guy was charismatic. He was whip smart, had a steel trap for a mind. And, you know, again, my relationship with him began, of course, later in Dave's life when I first got to, to meet him and spend some time with him. Um, but it, it persisted for many years. And to have his respect was amazing over the course of time when he was beginning to to kind of retire from all the stuff he did. And, man, he did a lot of stuff. Um, he, he handed the reins over to me on some, on some of the stuff that he would do hosting, uh, hosting gigs and stuff like that. And there was no, there is no, there will be no greater, I guess, honor, um, professionally for me than understanding one, he thought I was capable of, of, of trying to stand in (laughs) shoes the size of oil tankers. I mean, these were not, these are not big shoes. These are globally intergalactically huge shoes. And, uh, you know, he, it, there was respect there and it's something that I will never, um, forget or take for granted or allow to drift from my mind. And it is something that, um, something that almost brings me to tears every time I think about it. It's, it's just, it's such a, a tough thing. The last time we worked directly together, um, was for the 50th Gator Nationals. And we had this idea that, you know, this race was coming and, and we knew it, we needed to do something big and unique and interesting to start the show. And, um, I guess I kind of got nominated to call him and ask if he'd be willing to do it. And at this point, um, you know, he was still in pretty good health. Um, he was able to kind of get around. He was up in, up in years, obviously, over 80 at that time. But he was receptive to the idea. We put together a script, and he came into the NHRA studio at that time when the office was in Glendora, and he did the voiceover work, and he crushed it. And it was the perfect way to start that momentous event with him and his voice and his presence. And after we did that, it was Lewis Bloom and I, uh, kind of conducted an interview with him just to, to have really what we figured and ended up being kind of one last opportunity to, to sit with him and chat with him and, and you know, to kind of pick his brain a little bit and get his feelings on different things. And, again, it was just um, something that in the moment I thought was very fu- I thought was very fun, I thought was very respectful, I thought was very cool, but I, I guess now you look back on it and think, Thank goodness we did that. Thank goodness you have that that opportunity to, to kind of capture that time. Um, you know, after he had decided to get out of uh, even doing voiceover stuff because he was just kind of retired, he wanted to just enjoy his life and not be tied down to anything. He would uh, he would send some of his voiceover clients to me um, to do work, and again, that's that is it blew my mind then. It blows my mind now, and so I just. Uh, I'm at a loss for words, ironically enough, I guess, on on this topic, and I'm sure many of you are as well, but I guess that the one thing that uh, we all share uh, regarding Dave McClelland is a respect for how this guy conducted himself, for what he did, for how he did it, and, you know, I look at his style of announcing, and it has been obviously monumentally influential to me, um, his ability to capture 
kind of the gravity of a moment, his ability to translate that gravity into something that made you lean forward and understand that what you were about to see was important and it was big and it was full of tension and it was just all the right stuff um, is is it gives you chills when you watch it still. And I apologize for perhaps rambling here, but it's just uh, it's just a sad thing to think about the fact that that uh, that Dave's no longer with us. Thankfully, again, we have the archive, we have the history, we have so many of those great moments, and we're going to be honoring him during our Epping broadcast, and uh, I hope you will enjoy that um, that project, which we've been working on behind the scenes now to create, and it's just going to be, uh, it'll be an emotional moment for all of us, but for Dave McClelland and the McClelland family, again, we send our condolences on behalf of myself and my family, and certainly on behalf of the NHRA and the entire sport of drag racing. That is a man, that is a presence that will never be replicated. And I think it's 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 funny to a degree, you know, at this point when you when you look back at just what this guy accomplished 40 years of hosting the SEMA awards. He's in the SEMA hall of fame again, managed racetracks, started race series, you know, was involved in television and radio and just, um, was a Colossus and very thankful that, you know, his family active drag racers, his son, Kevin, a killer racer out in the West coast. The guy's won all different types of stuff over the course of years. Dave himself had his famed tuna tank, a Fiat altered that he would race kind of as an index car and then just go out and have fun. The family uh, restored that car several years ago. He got to see it back, kind of return to its former glory. And I guess we put a punctuation point on that part of the show by just uh, by just remembering him fondly, which is the only way you can remember Dave McClellan. That is the last point I'll make here is, is the fact that when we talk about figures the size of Dave McClellan in their breadth and depth of career and influence you hear a lot of very positive things and every once in a while you hear somebody say something negative but not about mac not about mac and how amazing to be remembered in such a fond way in such a respectful way and he is a a grand example of ultimately in your career uh in the world of racing which seems very large but is is really kind of very small and cloistered that you are remembered by how you treat people, how you prepared yourself to do your work, how you approached that work, and how you made people feel while you were doing that work. And he absolutely knocked it out of the park on every single level. And for any of us that follow in his footsteps in whatever degree and no matter how far behind us or how far behind him we are in those footsteps, that is a man and a career in a life that we can use as a shining example of how to do things the right way. So that was a lot. I apologize for being off uh, off kilter a little bit regarding Johnny D and uh, and Mac, but two very very important people in, in my life, two very important people in the sport, and I wanted to take the time to um, I hope remember them properly. Now today's show we have Chad Green on, we have Stevie Fast Jackson on. And for Chad Green, uh, I'm really interested to talk to him because right now the guy's eight to the point to Nitro Funny Car. I want to talk to him about his evolution as a driver because we have really seen this guy come into his own. The, the Chad Green we see driving this race car now is a threat to win every time he pulls up to the starting line. It's been very, very fun to watch. 
and it will continue to be fun to watch throughout the season. Stevie Fast Jackson will be on. We'll be talking Pro Modified with him, of course. We'll be talking about the class, the category. We had Lyle Barnett on a show or two ago, and Lyle was great, and that's really why I wanted to follow up with Stevie because Stevie's been a driving force in, in what I feel is a bit of a, a renaissance resurgence, if you will, for Pro Mod. We're going to talk all about that. So now that I have gone on far too long, and said probably far too many words. Let's transition into our interview. So our first conversation you will be hearing next is with Chad Green, driver of the Bondcoat Ford Mustang Nitro Funny Car. And Mr. Chad Green joins the NHRA Insider Podcast for the first time now. Oh, I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me on today. So, man, this is uh, this has been a killer season for you guys. Just watching you evolve as a driver, watching the team come together. You have to be really happy with the way things are going here. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so happy. I mean, we're having a blast so far this year. Uh you know, that we're we're sitting better than I'd hoped to be at this point. <clears throat> so that's definitely exciting. But you know, I also have to say, you know, our car has definitely not been running where we want it to run. Uh we definitely know we can get more out of it and do better. So we have been making some consistent runs down the track and we just want to get it going a little faster. We, we think we're, we're right on the verge of doing that. So I think it's going to get even more exciting as the year goes on. You know, you made a commitment. We talked to you early in the season on one of our NHRA on Fox shows. You made a commitment to bring in, you know, experience help and, and dedicate some guys to this car, and it really seems to be paying off. Um, kind of talk about that process a little bit, about about getting some really kind of experienced, dedicated hands on the, on the race car. Yeah, well, we knew, you know, after last year, we ran eight races last year, and I had basically all-flying guys, part-time guys. Uh, Daniel was working for me part-time. He still had his other job. And it, just doing those eight races was really tough. It, it was really tough on Tim and his guys, and we do to do more, which we do. We had to make some changes, and, and you know, get a full-time crew, get a crew that we can really go be competitive with. Obviously, we, we've got to grow as a team first. We know that. But so far, it's, it's going pretty good. And it's, it's been a big help, you know, to have Daniel. I hired, I don't know if anyone or very many people know this, but I, I did hire Daniel full-time this year as a crew chief. Oh, so, wow. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I've got Daniel plus five other guys at the shop full-time this season, you know, working on the race car every day. So all that has just made a world of difference. Plus, you know, me just getting more seat time, I'm definitely getting more comfortable in the car. And, uh, yeah, we're having a blast. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you about as well because it has been a really, really fun thing to watch your evolution as a funny car driver. And, you know, it's really race to race. And, and you talk about the experience in the seat. And I want, I want to kind of better understand or I want the audience to better understand, you know, what does it actually mean to get more comfortable in the race car? Is it understanding what the thing may or may not do? Is it understanding maybe the the speed, the acceleration, the forces behind it? For you personally, what has made that difference beyond just sitting in the race car and getting the seat time? What's come? What What do you feel comes more naturally to you now than than did last year or even the season before? I would have to say the main thing is just uh, getting a feel for the car and, and how you have to really steer these cars. And people don't. People watching from the outside really, it's hard. To, it's hard to explain it because uh, you know driving any other type of car, especially like a probot type car, door car. I mean, you, you have to steer those cars as, 
as little as possible. I mean, if a car makes a move, you have to make your correction very little and, or you're going to crash. And basically with these funny cars, it's the exact opposite. I mean, if it starts, <laughs> if it starts to make a little move, you got to be really yanking on that steering wheel as hard as you can and be on top of it as quick as you can. You can't be lazy about it. And it took me just a little bit to, to really get the feel to where my subconscious would take over, my instincts would take over and, you know, make those moves like I need to. And I think that's been the biggest part, of course, you know, the speed, there's nothing like it, but yeah, that, that's just, that's just fun. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those processes too, to, to go through and it has to have its moments of frustration, but this is really something that you kind of have to do in public. And that's a tough thing, right? I mean, as many test runs you can make, the reality is you're going to make most of those runs at a, at an event and there's going to be a lot of people there watching. So, so this learning process is something that, uh, you know, like, like somebody said, happens in front of God and everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a very uh, public process, I would say, <laughs> for sure. Uh, one thing that helped me, Brad, <clears throat> you know, for for several years, uh, I got my license back in 2017, and for a few years, I would go every year to the Phoenix test session and run Tim's car for a couple days, you know, on, on like a Thursday and a Friday before before the crowd came. Gotcha. And and. I did that for three years, you know, I, I got to put uh, like 20 plus runs on the car and I wanted to do that. You know, I didn't want to just jump in and, oh, absolutely. and, and experience all that in front of the world, like you're saying. So having that process really helped me a lot. You know, I kind of took my time getting into the funny car year before last, we did two races. Those were my first two races. And then, like I said, we, we did eight last year. So it's definitely been a progression and, I definitely feel way comfortable in the car now. I mean, we're, we feel like we're at a point where we're ready to go race and be competitive. Is there a better guy to do this with than Tim Wilkerson? I mean, we all know and love the guy, and he's he's just a salt of the earth dude. But in terms of your your kind of growth and, and expansion of your team and how you've kind of stepped ahead, he has to have been a just and continues to be a, a huge influence, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt about it. Without Tim, I, I just wouldn't be doing this right now. I couldn't be here. I can't really think of anyone else besides Tim that I could go to out there and accomplish to do the same things that I've been able to do. So I definitely owe a big debt of gratitude to Tim. And he's helped me so much, you know, behind the scenes. Like I said, last year, you know, do they races, you know, with the, with the car would go back to the shop, his crew would have to, you know, do pull double duty work on his car and my car. And, just that and Tim's experience and and knowledge and and plus being him we just get along you know and, and and that's that's a that's a key part right there I mean you have to get along and be friends and be having fun with the people you're with yeah and listen or, Tim's a straight shooter as well right he's not a guy who's going to beat around the bush if something needs to happen or something needs to change or whatever it is I mean he's the type of guy that's not going to waste your time or his kind of uh taking the long way home to to give you an explanation or give you advice or whatever that's right. That's right. And I like that about him. And, you know, like I said, we've just, you know, from day one since we first met, we've just always got along so great and our relationship so great. And thank God that I've got him. You know, your son Hunter as well is, is coming along in the sport. He's doing a nice job behind the wheel of an A-Fuel dragster, has his top fuel license. How fun has that been a process to, to be a part of? Oh, let me tell you, that's been really exciting for me just to watch. Uh, 
you know, it's one of those things. I never wanted to push him to do any racing. You know, sure. if he wanted to do it, <laughs> he would have to show the interest and want to do it himself. And, and he's really evolved over the last couple of years. You know, first working on my team as a pro bod or, or the pro bod team and being around it. And, you know, just being part of the team and, and for the last couple of years, really evolved. And he's, he's really got into it. It's really got his blood out. I think he's really gotten hooked. So, uh, yeah, we're in the process of trying to plan where he could get more seat time, do more races, and, and and he's done really a fantastic job so far. I'm so proud. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, It's been a fun thing to watch. And, you know, he drove uh, – whose car was he driving at the preseason test? Didn't he make some laps with uh, maybe the McPhillips car or something like that? I'm trying to remember whose car he was in. No, okay, yeah. He, he made passes at Randy Myers' eighth car. Randy Myers' car, yes. First, okay, he made like seven passes at that. And then he made a couple passes at uh, Tim's Top Fuel Dragster, yes. which he sold to Buddy Hole. Yeah. And I'm sure when he got out of the Top Fuel Dragster, he was probably like, well, yeah, this is it, right? The A-Fuel car, as great as that is and as good as as good an experience as it is, I'm sure that Top Fuel car uh, was a life-changing moment for him. It was. It was. <laughs> and fortunately for him, he, had, he got a chance to make uh, three or four passes at it last year. So he actually made passes in the top field car before he did the A field car. <laughs> and our plan with the A field car was, well, let's let's let him do that so he could get just more experiences yeah. before we put it back in it, you know, without it costing so much money. That that was our really intention initially. And, you know, we, we got in with Randy Meyer and again, you know, like Tim being Randy Meyer, we just get along so great. He's such a great guy. And want to help us out, so we're we're kind of really enjoying that right now. So our plan for the future is he's going to run, you know, two or three more races this year with Randy, and then try to do more next year, and just get some more seat time right now. And then you know, if something comes up in the future with the top fuel, you know, that'd be great. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a cool thing to watch, and he's uh, he's taken to it like a duck to water. Already has already has some round wins to his uh, to his credit, which is a good thing as well. Uh, speaking of round yeah. wins, speaking of round wins, how much does it does it change for you in terms of not just the enjoyment factor, but but when when you have a race car that can go rounds and does consistently go rounds now, as your funny car is doing, um, it has to change the whole dynamic of of the kind of feeling of what it means to show up at the racetrack, right? When you know you're sitting in something that can not only be competitive but really has the chance to go the distance, it it just has to be a game changer. Oh, definitely, definitely. It sure does make it a lot more fun, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a big thing for me, you know, and seeing the car go, go rounds is the the morale for the crew. Yeah. Because, you know, that in all reality, that's what you got to have to make this thing happen and go good. Besides me just not messing it up, you got to have the crew that's going to give you a good race car. And when they start seeing that success, you know, they start seeing their hard work pay off. I think it just grows and it just snowballs from there. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're seeing some of that. So, our, you know, now the crew, you know, they're not just coming to the racetrack thinking, yeah, you know, we're, we're one of the, the the slower teams. We're just going to go one round and go home. You know, we, we've got a different feeling about the team that, hey, we've got a car here. We're, we're getting better. We can be competitive. We see we can be competitive, and we know we can do even better. 
you know, one of the guys that's been a part of your pro mod racing and is uh, part of the, the Nitro Funny Car team is Dean Marinas. And I, I go back a ways with Dean and such a cool guy, you know, kind of got his start street racing in New York and became a really standout kind of all-star level small tire and, and pro mod racer in his own right. But man, I, I don't know. He may love this funny car more than you do. It, it, he, he's like a kid in a candy store with this thing. He is. And it's, wow, it's been, it's been a cool transition to see, see that CD because, you know, when I first was going to, you know, swap over and start running the funny car, I didn't know what was, what would happen with Dean, if he would really want to come, how it would work out. And it's just been great so far. I mean, he's just, like you said, he's just really taken to it. He, he, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed myself at how much he loves it. Yeah, and he's a cool guy too. He's, I think he's a good guy to have around in terms of. Uh, I've never seen the guy break a sweat in terms of being nervous. I mean, even in big, big situations when he was when he was racing his small tire stuff, he'd be in these high pressure situations, and he's just kind of like just as the old saying goes, "Cool is the other side of the pillow." <laughs> That's right, and, and let me tell you, Dean is an asset in so many ways, and you know when when it was my goal to keep him with me, yeah. you know, Dean's been with me for a while now. And we got a great relationship, and I want D to be with me no matter what type of racing I'm doing. <laughs> if it's go-kart racing, you know, it doesn't matter. So that's how I feel about Deed. You know, the, the the car is sponsored by Bonco, which is your business, and I don't think a lot of people understand what this company is, and I think it's fascinating. So for the fans at home and the people listening to this show, when they see Bonco on the side of your funny car, what is that company? Well, let me tell you, that that's – it is my company. It, it's it's a company that basically I built, you know, from the ground up. You know, we struggled for many, many years, and it's a company that allows me to do what I'm doing right now. So, you know, everything that I'm able to do right now, I owe to Boncoat. So, it, it you know, it's just one of those things. It, it was a struggle for so many years. I got into racing a little bit late in my career because I, I was, you know, Build I was tired of business. Trying, yeah. Yeah. Build a business, raise the family. I wanted to race. I just couldn't. And, uh, you know, I just had to wait for the time was right. And fortunately, I was able to grow my business. And, and now it's, it's afforded me the opportunity to do this. And this is a this is a company that, uh, my understanding, takes you around the world, right? This is a company that isn't simply just based in Texas. You spend a lot of time uh, out and about, so to speak. Uh, yes, I, I do, Brian. Uh, it originally started here in West Texas at the Perpignan Basin, and <clears throat> about 12 years ago, I expanded and I put in my first plant overseas in the Middle East in Oman. And since that time, over 12 years, last year we just put in our, our third plant in Saudi. So wow. yeah, it's really been a great expansion. It's, it's been something fun, interesting to grow. You know, years ago when I started this business, I never the wildest dreams would have thought i would be in business at <laughs> the least but yeah it happened and it's been a good thing yeah it's uh it's really really neat and what does the rest of the season look like for your team uh, what what races you planning on hitting and and kind of what's it what's it going to shape up to be okay well we you know initially our plan was to try and run the full season yeah <clears throat> we've uh you know we started last year on this <clears throat> excuse me, on this plan and this process and, and, you know, trying to gather parts and all that. And we're kind of at a point now where we, we think we've got enough parts, 
gathered up to do 19 or 20 races. Nice. So uh, we are going to end up skipping, you know, two or three races. I know we're going to skip Epic because that's the next one coming up, which I'm so disappointed to be, be, be missing. But, you know, it's really far race, an expensive race for us to get to. So yeah. we decided we'd, we'd skip that one. Then we'll be back on it for a little bit. And we'll see what happens. But, yeah, our plan is to run as many. I, you know, my goal is I want to be definitely in the countdown. And that's that great. Down. That was going to be my next question. And and I think the the coolest part of this story to me right now is that this is not a situation that you're just kind of happy to be there in eighth place. And, and it's just kind of like, wow, this is great. Look at us. And there is a there is a vision here and there is a drive to, to make the countdown, which I think is spectacular. Yes, 100 percent. And uh, yeah, we're I, I'm totally focused on that. Our team is focused on that. And that is our goal. And we definitely think it's achievable. And yeah, that's the plan. Well, man, it's a great, uh, great to catch up with you. Sorry, we won't see you in Epping, but we'll catch you back up soon enough after that. And again, it's it's been great to watch, and it's just to me, we look at the level of competition these days uh, across the board, and, and especially in Nitro Funny Car, and the fact that the fact that you're a top ten player now, the fact that you're a guy that uh, that people are now forced to look at that car and look at you differently in, in a much better way for you because they know they're going to have to have something in the tank to, to take care of you guys. Again, fun to watch, and good luck for the rest of the season. Hey, thanks for having y'all, Brian, and we'll, we'll see you at Bristol. So after a great conversation with Chad Green, we transition to our next chat here in the NHRA Insider Podcast, and that is with a two-time NHRA Pro Modified World Champion, Mr. Stevie Fast Jackson. How you doing, man? Hey, Lawrence. How's it going, buddy? Going well, man. Going well. And, you know, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about here with the class. And, and you know, this is a conversation we kind of started with Lyle Barnett in the last show, and I wanted to continue it with you. Um, first off, let's just talk about kind of the early season results so far, which I got a feeling you're not where you want to be. But I feel like after the last race, you're moving in the direction that you need to be moving in. Absolutely. Uh, new car, new package, new EFI deal. Um, we had some mishaps at the first race, ran okay second race. Definitely not, not where we need to be, but uh, really excited about the direction we're going. The car's doing what I tell it, and uh, the team's working together well. We have really good uh, chemistry in the team and in the pits, and I'm excited about getting into Norwalk. Uh, anytime the car will listen or do what you tell it, it's just up to you to tell it to do the right stuff. You know, I think it, it, one of these things that people may not really understand is that they think, well, listen, this guy's been running a Roots Hemi, a Roots Blown Hemi forever. Like, what's what's so different? Why isn't why why change anything? So I guess that's the first question. Talk about the new EFI setup you get in the race car and stuff like that. Why is why is why is just okay not good enough for you guys? Why is it always the constant tinkering? Well, I, I think that, that the roots bone combination is, is behind in parity uh, in the class. And I think that there's some performance to be had with a, with a more micromanaged fuel system. Um, I was a fuel injection guy. I was an EFI guy before I was a, a, a mechanical blower guy. So, like, I started out running EFI stuff. I had to learn how to do mechanical. So, running EFI on any combination, turbo, nitrous, blower, naturally aspirated, pro stock, any of that fits my wheelhouse. Uh, and I think that at the end of the day, when you get all the, the silly stuff to stop happening, I think that there's some performance advantage there. And I'm a natural tinkerer, so I, li- I like to always mess with stuff. And that's one of the detriments of, uh, of, of me <laughs> is, like, I can't leave it alone. Um, running average and okay is not good enough. I want to run at the front. And, you know, running at the front these days in ProMod, we've had some rules uh, adjustments made. I guess let's talk a little bit about that. There were some rules adjustments made after the last race. Do you think those are, do you think those are A, in the right direction, and B, will it, will it provide any sort of measurable difference, in your opinion? 
I think anything to slow down the procharge combination a little bit more is, is in the right direction. I don't think we did anything to help the roots bone combination. Yep. And if you average that combination, um, it, it, it is by far the largest combination in the class and by far performs the worst on average and not only in qualifying position, but finish position. We've only had one roots car in the semis at one race all year. Yeah. All the other races, all the roots cars out first and second round. So I think it'll slow the pro charger car down towards us a little bit. As always, I'm excited about it being better. Uh, I still don't think I can outrun the nitrous in the turbo car, but as long as it gets just a little bit closer, to where we don't feel like we have to hit the home run ball every run, uh, I'm excited about it. I think NHRA uh, technical department knows what needs to happen, and they're working towards that. They're trying to do it in a way mid-season rule changes to where it doesn't cost everybody a fortune. Yeah. Um, so I applaud their efforts on looking at it and not getting too far down too far down the season. Most everyone, including the Pro Charger guys, kind of been, you know, they're not really that spun out about the rule change. Everybody kind of knows that it's been needed. So I'm excited about it. Uh, I'd love to see the Roots car get a little help, but I think it'll be better than what it's been. Yeah, and, and look, we talk about you know rules changes, adjustments, and, and people having to spend money, and I don't think it's speaking out of school to say that a couple seasons ago some 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 rules changes were made that really did not do the class any favors whatsoever. Now, the, those things have been since rescinded and adjusted, but the damage was done, and, and, I, and I think we're in a recovery period from that damage, and I kind of want your perspective on that as well. I mean, we got Fuel Tech on board, we got D-Wagon on board, we got the shootout coming for, for Brainer. These are all good things. But ultimately, it's still kind of coming back together the way it should have been a couple of years ago. Well, we're in a lull right now in participation because of what happened in 2020. Uh, in 2020, a new power error was added, and everyone was told that it was on the same playing field. They made a thousand more horsepower than everybody set the national record on the second run down the track, yeah. and obliterated the field for two years. So you lost a lot of competitors who just did not want to change to that combination. And, and you were in a lull from that. As you get parity back, you'll start to get competitors back. Uh, there was a couple of really expensive rule changes for those guys. In the beginning, it needed the right supercharger on it, and it still does. Uh, and it'll end up there. I think that going into next season, we'll look at putting the right supercharger on it. So you're not running a supercharger that makes 4,500 horsepower and trying to calm it down to 2,800. Um, but with that said, we're, we're in a low in participation because of lack of parity. There's a lot of guys out there that, that were racing uh, in 20 and 21 that just didn't want to have to swap power adder to be competitive. Yeah. And as the guys see it, the parity is getting closer. They're coming back. We have a, a, a tremendous amount of new energy uh, in our class with the new sponsor. We have a lot of people that, ha that are now involved in our class and want to be involved in our class. I spend a couple hours of my day every day uh, fielding phone calls about people who want to get interested in our class. I had a company call me this morning and said, hey, we want to sponsor ProMod. How do I do it? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. And these are, you know, normally <laughs> yeah. used to be, it would be, hey, let me get you to sponsor Bahrain One Racing. Let me show you. And now I think everybody's kind of collectively working towards the, the common good. And I said, let me show you how easy it is to get in on something on our class. So I'm really looking forward. The Brainerd shootouts are going to be awesome. Some of the racing out west is going to be awesome. Uh, the the fan one thing that has not in a lull is the fan support of our oh, class. Absolutely, uh, we don't have thirty cars right now, but we got fifteen or sixteen of the absolute baddest teams, drivers, crew chiefs, and people in the world. It is so hard to do well here. I mean, it's it's hard. Anytime you see anything that gets this hard, you'll notice that car count will go down a little bit. But I am optimistic that we're on the way up. 
I, I agree with you. And listen, I think it was a big deal. I think it was a good thing to have Stan Shelton, uh, you know, out now at a couple of races with that screw supercharged car. And and really, uh, the math said it was going to be, you know, where we all thought it was going to be. But to, to have somebody show up and actually say, OK, yeah, this is a mid upper half qualifying car. It's not going to run away and hide from anybody. That's a good car. I think it was a, a good screw car to come out and kind of show what the that combination was going to look like and i'm not saying there's going to be a hundred screw screw blower cars showing up all of a sudden but i think when stan showed up and ran well it did prove that it's a viable setup absolutely i was one of the ones one of the critics believe me i'm a screw blower racer i was a critic that said that they were not going to be competitive at that at that rule package and i was wrong um he came out and, and there's a lot of detractors that are saying he came out and just ran well at his first race. Well, that's not their first race. That's no. their first race at NHRA. Yeah. They have a very well sorted out screw blower program. They've been running Midwest and kicking tail for a year. They got top notch motors, top notch stuff. Uh, Steve Petty's running it. So seeing them come out and getting some new faces and not only that, but that joker can flat drive the race car. Uh, I mean, <laughs> for a tractor puller, for a tractor puller, you can. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one thing that I want to talk about that that's the elephant in the room. If you look down our qualifying sheet, uh, 030 is not going to win anymore. No. We used to have four or five of us that could go 20 on the tree, and you kind of wanted to qualify really good, so you didn't want to get, get one of the, the heavy levers in the first round. Now there's. 15 of us who can leave the starting line i mean a lot of times you got to go double o something to leave first and uh it's as hard as i've ever seen it uh i'm excited to see a couple more you'll see a couple more screw cars coming out for norwalk i think the the viability of that combination has shown itself so that's exciting and we're hoping to get some new participation some new blood coming in uh, it's always good to see new faces you'll see without them doing anything for the roots combination you'll see some roots guys swapping which is which is bad i don't like to see that but overall um it's really good to see new folks coming in and running good you know i think what one of the things that's fascinating to me is a guy like you intense competitor lyle intense competitor the janice family very much like you go down the list and as you mentioned the the level of talent is is unbelievable it really is almost like an all-star race every time we have the pro modified class on the grounds but at the same time, you guys have been able to, despite this this high level of intensity and competition, been able to, to get in a room and really kind of band together and unify yourselves to a degree that I'm not sure this category has seen in several years. And you've done it for your own good, and it's been effective. I mean, we talk about the qual- additional qualifying points to the class. We talk about some of the different things going on internally. And that's because you guys have gotten together and, and have a collective voice. And this, this is the first time that I've ever been in a meeting ever this season with anybody that's in our class in NHRA and not one meeting or one time has parity or anything that matters on the racetrack come up. And that's exciting because we are, we are focused on how to make the class better. We're focused on how to get the fans a better show, how to, how to identify with the drivers driving the race cars and put less emphasis on the race car. Um, when you talk about camaraderie, I respect all of these guys that I race against. We went out there last race, we go out there and we qualify eighth and we got to run Lyle first round. One of my guys comes to me and he says, man, we got to run Lyle. He's really good on the tree. I was like, oh, you don't want to run Lyle. I said, who do you want to run? You want to run Jose? You want to run Justin Bond? You want to run Belushi? Right. Oh, you want to run Stan Shelton? Oh, you want to run Michael Thielen? You want to run Janice? You want to run JR who goes double five all the time? Which one, you, which one do you want to run first round? None of them. Uh, everybody's got a fast hot rod. But I've never seen our ability, you know, drag racing is a sport built on ego. Like we do it because I think I can do it better than you. 
And this is the first time I've seen all of our group get together this season. And everybody's positive. Everybody has a really good outlook. I'm really excited about how hard the, the Finish Line Consulting Group, Eric Dillard, Justin Bond, all the racers, Justin Elks, everybody is working together. Even Ricky has not been complaining. Um, so, like, it's a very unusual <laughs> time in our life. I'm waiting for a meteor to strike. I mean, he sent but, me a positive. Uh, everybody's kind of on board. Yeah, Ricky sent me a positive text message like a week ago. I, I saw it. That's, that's scary when that's supposed to happen. But, uh, it's, a, it's a good deal, man. We're looking forward to getting some talent from some other organizations. I want some of these guys that run PDRA in Midwest that think that they're good over there. I want us to come over here and race with us, and let's see how good you are. Yeah, and and I agree. I mean, I think it's one of the one of the things I talked to Lyle about, and which which surprised me happily was this idea of you know the idea was floated around, not in really real official capacity, but the idea floated around. Well, maybe we just change the class to eighth mile. And Lyle said basically to a man in those meetings and in those conversations, everybody said absolutely not. And I thought that yeah, was fantastic. Everyone, Everyone in that room stood up, physically stood up, and said no. And we said that's that's what distinguishes us from the other racing organizations. We are the elite of Pro Mod, and if you want to learn it, run the elite of Pro Mod is quarter mile racing. And it, it was a pretty it was a pretty emotional moment to watch all those grown men stand up and say absolutely not. Yeah, no, it's great. So, I mean, it's 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 the. Listen, it's the easy solution, and it's not even a solution because, like you said, you, you completely strip the thing of identity at that point. And, and not to say because the PDRA series is great, Midwest series is great. I'm not detracting anything from any of that stuff. But if you're going to do something unique, damn it, do something unique. And you guys all you guys all stood up for it, which is great. Yep, it's good to see everybody. I think we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. I think we get a little bit more parity. We're paying really good money. We have more purse for the field than any other sanctioning body in, in pro modified racing right now. We're paying number one qualifier at every single race. We got $25,000 shootout in Brainerd. There's a lot of lucrative reasons to come run pro mod. You want to attract sponsorship? This is where you come race to attract sponsorship. Um, and, and our eyeballs are the eyeballs on our class have never been uh, more intense than what they are now. I'm fired up about it. Yeah, I loved Virginia and the fact that you know Tyler Crossno runs that place and, and is the the guy who manages this, the PDRA series as well. And and that is a crowd that is conditioned to know and love pro mods. And they were glued, asses glued to seats when you guys came around the corner every round. Yeah, it was it was as much weather as we faced, as many weather challenges as we faced. Watching the track staff at VMP, the NHRA officials at VMP, and the fans stand there in the rain. Uh, I had a herd of fans under my awning like 10 times because they were just trying to get out of the rain. And like, I'm like, why don't they leave? And they didn't want to leave. They want to watch ProMod, right? Uh, and that's exciting, man. That's what makes me get up. That's what makes me want to do it. When I see fans care about it and, and appreciate the work and effort that we put in to put on that show, um, that's what gets my motor running. So last topic I want to breach with you or, or broach with you rather is, you know, outside of NHRA looking around, it's, it's, it's kind of gotten a little weird out there in terms of not necessarily in big tire racing because there's tons of that to do. We've talked about all the different series that are existing on a national level and then you can talk about all the different regional series, but what's the scene like a for you in the grudge side what's the scene like and i don't even know if there is one anymore really as far as the the elite level of radial stuff it all seems to be changing in a very fast manner yeah the the the, the issue with some of the small tire racing we'll, ta- we'll tackle that one first is that the, it's allowed development so fast that yeah. it's hard for anyone to keep up um we don't have when we sold the shadow uh we don't have a radial tire car right now I have some stuff in standby to try to build to do that. Uh, I'm waiting to see how that class is developing before I pull the trigger on that. 
Um, but we're not doing right now. We're not doing, and I love radio racing. Those Absolutely. those folks are my family. Uh, and competition is hard, and it's fast, and it's fun. Uh, but right now, we don't. We do not have a radio car. Not to say you're not going to see us throw our hat in the ring with that uh, again. I love Stinky Outlaw uh, racing. The the move is gravitated towards. I think a lot of the big tire stuff simply because there's more places to race it. It's not so track dependent to yeah. put on a show for the fans. You know, you've been to that that three o'clock session somewhere at a radial tire race. <laughs> yeah. And like for you, you're in the air conditioning and it's terrible watching 90 <laughs> pairs of cars spin the tires. But think about the guy who spent $200 and he's in the stand with a Bud Light and he's like 91 cars have spun the tires in a row. Yeah. So with big tire racing, you don't have that. And I think at the end of the day, we're an entertainment business. And I think the sport will always evolve uh, uh, around what gives the crowd the best show. Um, and I think that that ebbs and flows. Uh, but I do love radio racing. Don't know that you won't see me back in one if the class continues. On the grudge side, we simply don't have anybody who wants to sit in the other lane. Uh, so there hasn't been. After we teabag Bubba Stanton um, and, like, shut the lights out in Texas for about three months, uh, once they finally got the power grid turned back on and got it to where everybody could get back on the Internet, um, there hasn't been anybody that wants to, to do any grudge racing. So, you know, you guys see me at NHRA where we're very, our hands are tied and we can't make any power. But uh, if you want to come to a no holds barred grudge race, we know how to run pretty fast if there's no rules. So, uh, not a lot of grudge racing happening. But uh, as always, the invitation is open and I'm always uh, ready to oblige any willing candidate. Awesome. Well, man, it's been uh, it's been real fun so far this season watching Pro Modified, and certainly with the rules adjustments and what we got going forward. A with the energy of the sponsorship, with the energy of that shootout that's coming up in, in Brainerd, it's going to be great. And before we go there, we go to Norwalk, which is always a massive race, and it's it's good to hear that you're not only beating up on the phone lines, you're receiving those phone calls as well. So I appreciate you taking the time, Stevie. Always great to talk to you, and certainly love the uh, candid insight into the class as well. Man, I have been trying to get that ice cream scoop for five years. I am coming to Norwalk <laughs> to get that gosh darn ice cream scoop. I'm going to sit on that bench at the beginning of stage lanes and eat some ice cream before I leave there with that ice cream scoop. It is the most coveted specialized trophy in our sport. Guaranteed end of story. Everybody I talk to that hasn't got one yet wants the damn ice cream scoop. You already have your U.S. Nationals trophies. You got those locked up. You need the ice cream scoop. True story. Belushi's talking trash to me all the time about why we why we're not running good. And I'll say something, Belushi. I don't want two championships, and I don't want the U.S. Nationals twice. What else do you want? He'll say, "Well, I got an ice cream scoop from Norwalk, and you don't." He'll throw that in my face every time, every time because he's got one. So I'm coming to get one. I want to be like the cool kids. Thanks, Stevie. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, Lones. And that brings us to the close of another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Love talking to Chad Green. Certainly always love talking to Stevie Fast Jackson. And uh, his candor and, and honest insight into pro-modified drag racing really is something else. We have Memorial Day weekend on the way. If you're going racing at your local NHRA sanctioned drag strip, good luck. Turn on some wind lights and maybe get yourself some dough at the end of a Sunday afternoon. If you're going to be home with your family, certainly enjoy and relax as the NHRA tour will pick up again in Epping, New Hampshire. Not this coming weekend, but the weekend after. We'll do our Epping pre-race show next week and get everybody up to speed on what to be looking for when the Granite State is home to NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Over the course of this Memorial Day weekend, certainly take a moment to reflect on why this weekend exists and the importance of the dates. It is going to be a great, great couple of days to get our batteries recharged before we go in, storming into Epping, New Hampshire, followed by Bristol and Norwalk. Thanks for listening, and certainly... 
thanks for everybody that has reached out and we've had great conversations with a lot of people not necessarily on the show but offline of course regarding the passing of dave mcclellan regarding the passing of john debartolomeo two men who have been influential to me and influential to so many in the world of drag racing both inside and outside of the nhra i'll be thinking of those guys a lot over the next couple of weeks i suspect many of you will as well thanks for listening to this episode of the insider we'll be back next week with another one as always i appreciate your time